Welcome to The Occasion. I'm your host, Jennifer Perrine, and this is Episode 3. The Occasion is a themed poetry show featuring interviews with poets who offer a selection of their greatest hits, read poems written specifically for the occasion of the show, and recommend some of their favorite poems by other authors. So, a little something old, something new, something borrowed, and something true. Before we get started, I want to thank everyone in our community who's pulling together, creating new programming, and keeping KBU not just on the air, but also fresh and relevant. The station is closed right now, which means we're all recording from home, and it also means we've had to cancel our usual spring membership drive. If you're in a position to give, we hope you'll donate online at kboo.fm to keep this volunteer-powered, listener-supported community resource alive and well. And now, on to the show. It's April 2020, and the theme for this month is Fools. Our guest tonight is Kate Gray. You might know Kate from one of her poetry books, For Every Girl, New and Selected Poems, which was published last year, or her previous poetry book, Another Sunset We Survive, which was a finalist for the Oregon Book Award and followed her chapbooks, Bone Knowing, winner of the Gertrude Press Poetry Prize, and Where She Goes, winner of the Blue Light Chapbook Prize. Or you might know Kate from her first novel, Carry the Sky, published in 2014, or from hearing or reading an excerpt from her novel in progress, Any More Black Shoe, in which she narrates in Sylvia Plath's voice what led to the bell jar and Plath's suicide attempt in 1953. Or you might know Kate from one of the many ways she brings people together around writing, whether it's as a volunteer writing facilitator through Write Around Portland, as the co-host of the Insight Queer Writers series, or more recently as a person who leads daily guided meditations and writing sessions that are reaching people all over the world. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate being here. Thanks for being on. So before we dive right into the poetry, I just want to acknowledge that we are all staying at home as much as we can right now. So Kate and I are recording from separate spaces. I am in my bedroom closet, which is the most soundproof space in my house. And Kate, where are you joining us from today? I'm also in my bedroom closet. It's it feels a little odd to be back in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this is the, it's only the literal closets that we have to be in right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I appreciate you um, t- taking the time and uh, to construct a little a little space for yourself to do this in. 
So this month's theme is fools, and I'm hoping you can start us off with a poem or two of yours so we can hear how that theme has shown up in your poetry in the past. Great. Well, thanks. I, I love this theme. It seems so appropriate for April. And I'm going to read the first poem is the title for this collection that came out last year, almost a year ago. And in some ways, it's more like nobody's fool. Um, it's addressed in some ways to the reader to not uh, not fall for someone who is a liar or a cheat. <laughs> so this was written when I was a facilitator for a writing group, um, right around Portland group in Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. And we read together Jamaica Kincaid's Girl. And this is the poem that I wrote afterwards. It's called For Every Girl. This is how you break a heart slowly. Avert your eyes when she asks about your day. Say, fine. Don't ask about her day. Don't buy the dry white wine or pick sunflowers or caramelize onions for her meat. This is how you break a heart fast. Cheat. This is how you break a heart completely. Cheat and lie about it and blame her. This is how the heart eats itself. It beats with hope and is beaten. This is how a heart learns to beat again. Practice. You say, please, and she says, possibly, and you say, thank you, and she says, you're welcome, and you get out of the way. This is how you bear her broken heart. Look in her eyes, confess everything, claim the pain you put there, and choose her. Choose her over you and your sorry excuses. If the heart learns to beat again, then offer to walk on your knees for as long and as far as she wants you to. Offer to hold her with open hands, palm up, and offer your eyes the way clear water cannot lie. Hmm. Hopefully that covers that, works with that theme. <laughs> yeah, I I think so. <laughs> okay. I think I, you said you said there's sort of that nobody's full sense, but I think too there's a little bit of uh, maybe on the, on the girl's end or the the beloved sense. The you you fooled me once, you won't fool me again. Right, right, <laughs> right. And hopefully the narrator is trying not to fool anymore. Yeah, not, yeah. I hope. Appreciated the that refrain. This is how sort of giving us instruction. Maybe in times when we've botched it all up and 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 need a little guidance for how to how to get back in someone's good graces. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, clear and direct and in Jamaican Kincaid's piece you hear that mother's voice. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very um very stern. <laughs> very direct. Yeah. How how often do your poems arise out of you know, reading other poems like that or, or working with other people around a poem? Um, they they arise a lot that way. Um, I use prompts a lot in my salons and workshops. And I love just letting it rip from 
whatever those few words are, and always giving credit, of course, <laughs> to, the, to the poet. Um, but it really helps you to launch off and take it whatever direction that your heart needs to go. And Thank actually, the, the next one is also after I use, uh, I didn't actually uh, use this line from an Elizabeth Bishop poem as a prompt, but it just, it, it felt just right for this poem. This one. Okay. Do you want to go into that one too? Yeah. Okay. This poem has all kinds of levels of foolishness. <laughs> I seem to do that a bunch with my next older sister. Um, and we were, my mom had, our mom had just died and we went out and swam as a thunderstorm was hitting. Mm-hmm. So that was the danger of the moment on top of the danger of what we had just, what we were going through. So this is called Swimming in a Thunderstorm. And I Let the Fish Go by Elizabeth Bishop. The day after our mother died, rain falls like penance. My sister leads me to the pool, pushes me in the deep end. Look, she says, jumping in, look how I float. I sink under raindrops lobbed from thunderheads. The sound of no sound, its echo is warm. The rain circling on the water above me the top of the water, the sky, the sky, all rings intersecting. In the rumble of storms, the way some evenings rang black. Mother used to sit under the awning by the pool, cigarette smoke curling blue, book open, cocktail turning pale on the table. Her hair was the reason she didn't swim. Without looking up, she said, Time to come out. Today, we swim under threat of lightning strike. My sister asks in a voice as soft as water on water, is it different, this place, anything? Yesterday, she held our mother's hand, eggplant and black from weeks of needles. It took hours for our mother's pulse to retreat from her feet and legs, and hands. Since the moment we saw the last breath drawn, our world turned thunder, thunder, thunder. There's something really interesting happening in that poem around there's merging of, I think that there's the merging of past and present, but also there's something else happening around time. I think the combination of the the writing about it took hours um, that process of dying and also in this moment of of swimming that things mm. it, the that question it uh is it different as if like nothing's changing nothing no time right. is passing was that something that you were trying to capture in the poem or to to think through or to that well, you, your yeah, of course is only one response to that <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah. I meant that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it exactly what I think. Um, I think maybe with a happy circumstance. I mean, it, um, she really did say that. And when a parent dies, you know, you, you do feel like 
everything's different now. You're suddenly unsheltered from thunder and lightning. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you are swimming in something you are not prepared to swim in, mm-hmm. um, even though there is, the parent attempted to prepare you. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, there is a sense of foolishness for what you didn't learn and should have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But, but a, a foolishness and also the, that sense of, and it, it may be because there was some, some factual basis for the poem too, but the, the sense that you're not swimming alone either. There's yeah. somebody beside, beside you asking these questions. And so the foolishness of the moment in, in which it's, you're choosing to dive in, but also kind of no control over that moment either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And did, uh, since you, you quoted that line from Elizabeth Bishop at the beginning, was that, did that come before or after in the process it, of it making it? It came after, actually, yeah. Yeah. What what was the connection that you were thinking through there? Um, well, part of it, of course, was the you know the rainbow, 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 and her poem mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, <laughs> my mom was a lot like that fish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, you know that Elizabeth Bishop described with the lures still attached and still somehow magnificent. Mm-hmm. Um, and hardened and ready to to go on, mm-hmm. whatever that might mean. So yeah, so that was that was all part of it with the with the bishop. Just a beautiful metaphor to think of someone someone you love that way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I think I don't know if she would have liked that, but well, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I. I think it's it's honest. I yeah. um, there are a lot lots of folks in in our lives who who still have the the barbs and yeah, right. <laughs> have lived have lived through a lot and come out yeah. the other side of it and yeah and <laughs> yeah her yeah um, like bishops fish there was the sense of like medals of honor mm-hmm. <laughs> hanging from its mouth and my mom was similar. I wanted to go back to something you'd mentioned earlier when you were reading the previous poem when you talked about some of the, the workshops that you've done through right around Portland for inmates at uh, the women's correctional facility. And I know that you're, you facilitate writing in a number of other community spaces or have over time. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious about what led you to those kinds of community writing spaces. To be quite honest, I feel really at home. <laughs> Which sounds funny to say, well, you know, I really feel at home in prison. But people are very honest in so many of the places where I've led groups. And writing is truly a lifeline. As a facilitator, you are in the extraordinarily privileged position of watching people blossom and open to things that they may have never experienced before, like trust in a writing group, like telling their secrets 
showing in words their masks and their desire to not wear them anymore. I, I taught college for a lot of years, and that was an honor, absolutely for sure. Um, but there's always that odd distance of teacher and student. That's sort of an odd thing. Mm-hmm. Grades. <laughs> yeah. <that>. <laughs> you know, which I never was comfortable with. And um, But when I started facilitating for Red Around Portland, there was a commonality and a way that I didn't matter. And writing was all that mattered. And that felt really comfortable. <laughs> mm. How how did you decide to join that particular like that volunteer space? Was that something that you ch- you'd be in after um, you stopped teaching, or how did that happen? Most of my life, I've volunteered for different things. For a while, mm-hmm. I was volunteering in disaster relief for the Red Cross, mm-hmm. and part of that was the belief that healing could happen right away if people could write. I've often thought that at refugee camps and disaster places, people should be given pens and pencils and asked to write their experiences right away. Mm -hmm. Never quite found avenue for that, so I thought, well, I'll I'll try disaster relief and see how that works. And then I really saw that people need food and shelter first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and medical doesn't, right? So, um, um, and then right around Portland has been doing such great work for so long. I've always known about it. I had the opportunity to go into Coffee Creek Correctional Facility with a, cl- a nursing class and educate about hepatitis C and did writing as part of that curriculum. It was hmm. profound. So I trained for Red Around Portland and, and in, with the intention to go back into Coffee Creek. And they were nice enough to train me and let me do that. Have you um, found other kinds of spaces since then where you're able to create that similar sense of space of you know, trust and telling secrets and um, that kind of vulnerability that I think is is harder to, for something like that to occur in a classroom setting because of that distance that you talked about and the student teacher dynamic. Do you find that that's that's true in other um, writing spaces that you facilitate now? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. There there is um, yes. I've done I've done different groups. Um, I uh, with a woman a veteran. Uh, for a couple of years, we led a writing group for women veterans. I also did some writing groups at uh, American Legion on uh, North Alberta. It was a terrific place. Just different, different places. But I think even in, I've been leading writing salons online for. I just want to say I've been on Zoom for four or five years. I'm just saying. <laughs> It's not a new thing. Ahead of the curve. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And wherever, uh, whatever group it's 
there is this way of unfolding, uncurling, unfurling what's inside and creating a place that is kind of sacred and safe for people. And um, that's what I feel like I'm kind of meant to do. <laughs> Actually, that feels like my my honor to, to do that. Are there other spaces coming up, um, I suppose, right now over Zoom, most likely, <laughs> where, where where people can can work with you in that way and be a part of sure. that experience? Um, well, um, I am leading uh, a workshop in June. It's offered through a place in Connecticut because I usually go out there for a week, but not this year. And it's called Guts and Trust, What You Need to Write Your Route. And people can go to my website or go to westportwriters, all one word, .org. And it's June 22nd through the 26th. It's daily for for two hours. That's a pretty cool one. I also just I also lead weekly salons and workshops, so I think takegreatrights.com is probably the best way to find out about stuff like that. I guess. Great. I lo- I love the the title of that guts and trust. It's just so. <laughs> here's what it is. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what you're walking into. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very interesting who you know signs up. It, uh, luckily, I've I've taught there for about five years. It's been wonderful every time. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to The Occasion on KBOO Portland. I'm Jennifer Prine, and we're talking with Kate Gray. I asked Kate to write a poem specifically for the occasion of the show, so you all are about to hear a brand new poem. Okay, here we go. Same sisters involved in this one. Okay. April snow. Thick, wet snow in an oak forest. Diagonal and dizzy in bursts, flakes free-falling when wind gusts stop. This late in spring, balsam arrowroot flowers are sprouting, tight knots of sun. And this snow shows how meaning is made in tiny transgressions, how weather doesn't care what we miss or how we die. I couldn't have known what fools we were, my sister and I, tracking rabbits in the Connecticut snow. We wove through thickets that ripped jackets and cheeks. The four marks, two tiny snowshoes, a period, a period, would surely lead us to something wild we could touch with our hands. But every time, cold snapped us and we came back. Since the heart cannot heal itself, we must learn to read a sudden freeze scars made by those who are supposed to heal us or reach out to those who know the risks and take them anyway. Today, little matters except to move together with someone we love towards something we want to understand, no matter where it came from or where it goes. I love the, I feel like the center of that poem uh, in the way that I heard it was that the description of tracking and that I think the line was something like thickets, thickets that rip jackets and cheeks. The, mm-hmm. It's just this, there's a sense that there's, the world is a thorny place. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 
and you know we're we're trying to mend all the time from that thorniness. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to go for the happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the light. <laughs> it feels true, though. Um, I think the world world can can be quite thorny. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Some some days more than others, right? Yeah, yeah. What was your process like of of writing this and sort of writing into foolishness? Well, foolishness is fairly easy, but <laughs> um, well, um, this was started um, on one of the, the calls that I do in the morning, mm-hmm. and I was literally looking out the window, and, and I spend a lot of time in Mosier, Oregon, and there was snow, and I just thought, well, that's really unusual, <laughs> and I didn't know, I just wanted to capture the snow, and where I went was Oh, and I, we're also using um, a poem that I can read later that has the lines about what fools we were. And so I just went to thinking about my sister and didn't know where that would go. I mean, with the, I mean, tracking rabbits. And so that that was I was just letting my letting it letting it rip as it were, <laughs> seeing mm-hmm. where it went with the the late snow and the foolishness of that, of thinking that something would, that we wouldn't have snow in April. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, these daily calls that you're doing and that being sort of the genesis for this poem. Could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the, those calls where sure. folks are writing together with you? Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, about, uh, actually about a month ago um, when you know, there was everything was starting. We were sheltering, and um, I used to, as I mentioned, do disaster relief. And I just, I know I can't do that anymore. My my uh, my tolerance for stress has gotten down, <laughs> gone mm-hmm. down. And so I just kept thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And um, you know, I know, and I kept hearing people say, I I I need to write, but I can't I can't write right now. I need to write and I know again how writing can can heal or at least move things. So um I thought, well, okay, so what can I do? And I start I thought, well, phone calls. Phone calls are easy and they don't cost people anything anymore. So I ha um there's a conference calling actually called Uber. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well I could start a call and and do a guided meditation. I'm not very good at guided meditations. Maybe I'll get better. And then people could write. And then, okay, so maybe if they share, then it will be all day. So no, can't do that. I mean, to do it well, you need a lot of time. And so I thought, well, I'll just close with a poem that I find. Or um, And so that's what so I just got a, a subscription to the Uber conference calling I put it on Facebook, and the first day I had 55 people. Um, and all people do is call in; and they're automatically connected. And it's it has been absolutely extraordinary. I can't even tell you that 70 to 80 people every day um, call in. Most of them the same, some new, usually from about 15 to 18 states across this country. 
uh, from three other countries, Canada, UK, and Barbados. And a woman, is, and then I record them and I post them on Facebook, and then a woman in Singapore is using them for her network of people. So it's showing up in Singapore, Malaysia, and the Philippines, and Romania. <laughs> so it's been it's been so beautiful and powerful. I've I've been able to to join just a couple of those calls and I oh <laughs> one one of the the most wonderful parts for me is the I mean I I joined for the the writing but the part that is is always so surprising and wonderful is the meditation itself at the beginning and oh, um and I'm just curious about, um, I guess, your choice to include that uh, before, you know, just diving right into a prompt or, you know, instead of reading a poem first, something like that, the choice to use meditation instead. Well, that is part of, um, I um, trained with a woman named Suzanne Kingsbury who started the gateless method. It's mm. um, gateless as in G-A-T-E-L-E-S-S, gateless. And... Um, her approach to teaching writing and to writing is a kind of a combination of brain theory and Zen Buddhism. <laughs> and uh, it's really fascinating. And she takes all draws from many different sort of sacred practices. And always she'll start a writing session with meditation. And usually with touch. So if you're in person, she goes around and just massages your shoulder. She knows Reiki and all these different modalities. And the body really responds. And the idea is that if you receive this positive energy and positive feedback, you can actually make the vision for your peace happen. You have... If you do not trigger the fight-or-flight mechanism, you will enable the work that is inside you to flow out of you. It sounds kind of woo-woo, but it is extraordinarily powerful and works. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the genesis of the meditation part. And so is that something that you use regularly in, in yeah. other kinds of facilitation? Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It just calms people down and opens them to their own creativity. So what is it like being on the the on your end of the call where you know you're you're leading this and you're you're hearing people join and hearing people leave and there's there's not um, as you mentioned you, there's not that kind of sharing of work as there is in kind of a traditional workshop I guess. Mm -hmm. But what is it like to 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 be on your end of this thing that you've made? Um, well, I'm not in a full sweat every time. <laughs> <laughs> For about the first two weeks, I was so scared the whole time doing it um, that that it wouldn't work, that my meditation <laughs> would falter, you know, um, the poem would not, you know, anything. I was um, totally in a sweat. And um, I've been learning to trust the meditation as it comes through me. I know where I want to get to. I know the poem and I know the prompt. So it, 
it's been a, a really amazing process. It does feel odd not to, I mean, there's so many people from across the country I want to reach through the phone line and hug, uh, <laughs> you know, because I haven't seen them for a while or whatever, um, and I don't get to talk to them. Mm-hmm. But um, I And I don't usually write very much because I'm still kind of nervous. <laughs> Um, but it feels really like a beautiful thing, and it feels very powerful to have people, especially at the end when they say goodbye, and there's that huge cascade of voices at the end. I wouldn't have imagined that you were scared to. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> this does not come through on the call. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> But now that you're in a space where it sounds like you, you've passed the initial uh, anxiousness, sure. maybe, of, of doing <laughs> yeah, something yeah. new, right? Um, yeah, right. How, how are you thinking about, I guess, keeping this going? Are you planning to to continue it for a while? Well, I was going to um, definitely go through the end of April and then, mm-hmm. again, because I've been doing it every day. Yeah. And... So, you know, I'm not sure about May, whether I'll keep going or what. I haven't. It's a, it would be a family decision. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. It's a big commitment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for folks who are listening to this, before April ends, how can they join the call if they'd like to write together with you and other folks? Yeah. Thanks. It's um, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, and all they do is dial 503-300-2534, and they will automatically be connected. And um, and that's it. And it takes about 35 minutes or so. And I, one of the things that I appreciate about uh, not just about the calls themselves, but also your impulse to create something like this where it responds to people's uh, need to write and feeling like maybe they need a little bit of structure or entrance mm-hmm. into that is that it seems to have sparked uh, other people to do similar kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple of other writers in the Portland area who have you know, started daily, daily um, spaces of different kinds mm-hmm. um, for people and it, that seems just like such a hopeful act right now to to give people more opportunities so that also so that one person doesn't have to sustain a daily practice forever. <laughs> so there's <laughs> many different people doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true and really great, lovely people doing it. Uh-huh. Are, are there any folks that you're aware of that, that you wanted to share about that who are doing yeah, smaller Yeah, Brian Benson, for instance, is doing a daily Zoom writing I think it's in the afternoon. Uh, gosh, I wish I had the website right for you. Um, and then Angela Braxton Johnson is also doing a, a very similar thing um, with the, the calls and uh, every day. Those are two at least that I know of. And are there other ways that you, I'm, I'm assuming that despite the, the commitment or uh, alongside the commitment of it, that it's also, um, helpful for you in some way to have that space. Um, have you found other ways to, I guess, have a, a, a space to move through some of what's happening right now and 
the stressors of this time that we'd want to share with the audience? That's an interesting question. Um, well, I'm extraordinary, extraordinarily fortunate to be able to be out in Mosher, Oregon, which is mm-hmm. very rural. It's out in the gorge, five miles east of Hood River. And it, there's beauty everywhere. <laughs> um, and just and it's quiet. So for me, those are two really healing things, beauty and quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just having different writing communities that check in once a week has been sort of a saving grace as well. So I, I run different salons during the week, and um, they've really become close, the, the, the writers, and those have been great. And then I'm part of a writing group, and we've been together for, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 years, so that's mm-hmm. really close too. So those are really helpful connections. Yeah. yeah, it's great that you've got these sort of social connections that... I mean, they, they serve another purpose, too, and also just mm-hmm. a um, connection to, to place, maybe, or to... Yes, right. Yeah. You're, you're For, a, a wonderful uh, facilitator and makes things sound a lot better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I try. Thank you. <laughs> sure. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to The Occasion on KBOO Portland. I'm Jennifer Perrine, and we're talking with Kate Gray. And Kate, um, I had asked you to um, bring some poems by other poets, um, and I think you may, might have mentioned one earlier. Did you want to read a couple of those poems? Sure, yeah. Um, I think this poem, um, your listeners will probably know, it's a fa- very famous poem. And it's really about the fool who isn't the fool and how the smart ones fooling uh, fooling the dominant ones. And um, this is called We Wear the Mask. And I wish I had my Angela's voice, but um, by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. We wear the mask that grins and lies It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human bile. With torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouths with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. What drew you to that poem in thinking about, I guess in thinking about foolishness or fools? Well, I mean, in a, in a big sense, the way the dominant culture has treated African Americans has been a foolish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, and 
this is a case where the writer says, go ahead, keep your foolishness going because we're going to, you know, we're going to survive. And in some ways, we're, we're not only going to survive, we're going to come and get you. In some ways, we're, gonna, mm-hmm. we're not going to get you, but um, um, there, there will be mercy. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a sense in here almost like we wear the mask and you just don't get it. And so you're really the fool, not us. Do you have other ways of looking at that poem? Uh, I think, I don't know if it's a, a really different way from what you just said. I think there's something, though, about that um, kind of the, the way that it's structured of, you know, we smile, but we sing, but. And there's just something about that that I think speaks to a kind of foolishness of somebody not being perceptive enough to see beneath the mask. Yes. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, That's exactly it, like, yeah. Like, um, like there, I always uh, sense a little, not a little, quite, quite a bit of anger, like underneath it. Like, yeah, you know, how, how, yeah. how um, senseless must you be not to see past the smile or the singing and to to see all the complexity um, mm-hmm. that's sitting just behind it. And I appreciate that you you evoked my Angela too. So I heard that that poem both in your voice and in her voice. Oh, <laughs> which was your heart. Thank you. Which is great. <laughs> oh, you should. Yeah, you know, if, if you have, you know, you should definitely hear her read this. Look it up. It's amazing. Yeah. Were, were there other poems that you you yeah. looked at? Um, the poem that I used for the the snow poem is um, Meeting the Light Completely by Jane Hirschfield. Even the long beloved was once an unrecognized stranger. Just so the chipped lip of a blue glazed cup, blown field of the yellow curtain might also, flooding and falling, ruin your heart. A table painted with roses, an empty clothesline, Each time the sound world surprises, that is its nature. And then what is said by all lovers, what fools we were not to have seen. I definitely, now that you've read that, I definitely get that connection back to your your other poem. (laughs) Um, That that sense of, you know, the sound world surprises, like, oh, of course Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the world is doing this. It's <laughs> even right. though I didn't expect right. it to. <laughs> right, right. Do you recall when you first came across that that Jane Hirschfield poem? Um, it was some some um, people who have been on these calls in the morning have suggested mm-hmm. poems, and this was one of the ones oh. that they suggested. Oh, that's um, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing, and I've read so many different poems I didn't know. It's been really fun. Yeah, Jane Hirschfeld does those details so beautifully. Yeah. I feel like her her poetry, too, maybe fits particularly well with maybe the approach that you use, that that gateless method. I mean, I suppose quite any poem could, but there's something about her poems, too, that often, I think, have that meditative quality that can also um, sort of soothe some of that fight or flight. Mm -hmm. 
they often right. remind me, oh, this is this is just what what the world is. <laughs> yes, right, right. Were there were there other poems or poets that you thought about reading or or sharing, uh, but chose not to? Oh, um, well, I sure I have a couple, but one has a little. It's a little bit like a, a little bit of a concrete, you know, element Ooh. in it, mm-hmm. like a shape. I was trying to find poems that you know weren't necessarily Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> there weren't things that people would fall back on. Mm-hmm. Wanted to find ones that were fresh. Um, mm-hmm. Although the Paula Lawrence Dunbar is a classic. Yeah, I'm hoping for the time when that poem will not feel fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so I um, I was looking at, there's a poet named Nileen O.A. Foxworth. Her poem, mm-hmm. it's, her poem is called Show Enough. And then I was looking at Kevin Young. The poem is Pia Ka. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. I think there is, yeah, there's sort of a big sense of foolishness about the world and the, and the Kevin Young poem. Hmm. So yeah, those were two others. So, so more poems that folks can check out if, if they're mm-hmm. if they're curious. And um, because you're a novelist as well as a poet, are there any novelists uh, that you think we should check out if we want to see our fools in prose form? Well, just. <laughs> So many most, <laughs> most novels uh, you know, are about a coming, you know, an awareness, like, uh, mm. you know, coming to some sort of understanding. Ooh, well, what um, I think is beloved, Connie mm. Morrison's amazing novel, and and how in the end I think that. Uh, Morrison was saying that Sefa was a fool for loving so, she called it a love so thick, um, even though it's hard to bear that thought, but mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, do you have have one to help me out and I'll think of another one? Do you have something oh, that comes to mind for you? Maybe this comes to mind only because I'm uh, re rereading it, but I'm reading Margaret Atwood's The Testament oh. and oh. I just reread The Handmaid's Tale and oh, think, wow. yeah. think about the, the foolishness of uh, maybe thinking of those things as being speculative fiction. <laughs> You're <laughs> which, right. Which right. I think the first time I read The Handmaid's Tale, you know, I don't know, 20 some years ago, right. I, I, that's the way I thought of it. And mm-hmm. now looking back on it, I think, well, it, maybe there, it's not about the fools in the novel, but the foolishness of my perception of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, then there's sort of a classic of like of mice and men. Mm-hmm. I think there's a novel that I read recently um, that was something I probably wouldn't have stuck with, and I'm so glad I did because it's it's sort of 
tough going. It's a really fascinating book called Inland by mm-hmm. Taya Obrecht. And um, there, people are full of foolishness that almost cost their lives or does cost their lives, but there is in some way a redemption in how they live their lives. I think it was uh, published last year. Yeah. I feel like that description was just oblique enough that it's it's the perfect uh, <laughs> you know, book, book jacket blurb to draw me in. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look it up now. <laughs> well, I appreciate you introducing us to all these, these different um, poems and, and novels. And one of the other ways that you introduce uh, people to, to other writers is through the Insight Reading Series, which you co-host. Um, and for folks who don't know it, it's it's a space for queer writers to share their work, but it uh, also has this conversational component, which I, I feel like is pretty rare at a reading series. And it that conversation where, where the audience actually talks at the reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it feels sort of both playful and um, also pretty vulnerable in a, in a way that, uh, a different kind of way from other readings. Could you just talk a little bit about the the origin of the series and maybe especially about that community discussion part of it? Sure, sure, glad to. Um, Insight started, uh, Kate, Carol DeGudis and I were writing (laughs) um, after the trauma of the last election. And we just realized that queer people, LGBTQIA, were going to be targeted first by the administration. And sure enough, the whole trans bathroom thing happens within seconds. And we, there, there has been a lot of inclusiveness in other reading series for queer voices, but we wanted to make sure that we had one dedicated just to queer voices. So we went to literary arts and they were, they totally wanted to support it. So they have been so generous about giving us that beautiful reading space every other month, and that's what we've been doing since then. We have four writers every time, different writers every time, and they write around a theme, maybe we should try school. Um, and, um, <laughs> and then we have a question, a central question that we have, lead, we have people talk about after the reading. So the four readers go, and then for 10 minutes, people turn to people they don't know in the audience and talk about this question. And then afterwards, we facilitate a discussion from from everyone else's discussions. And it's really been cool. It's really been fun. And Kate and I play off each other. So when Kate facilitates the talk back, I'm taking notes and putting them on the screen above her, which she can't see. So I'm harassing her <laughs> while I'm taking notes, and um, it's really fun. What we're going to be doing, we'll be doing this online on Wednesday, May 13th at 7 p.m. through Zoom. Unfortunately, because of Zoom bombing, um, people will have to contact us to get the password into Zoom which is a very unfortunate thing. But um, we have a Facebook page. It's just 
you know, forward slash queer writers. And then let us know that you're going to come, and then we'll just give you the password. Uh, I'm sorry that we have to, to do that screening. It's on facebook.com forward slash queer writers. And as you're adapting this to this uh, to our virtual environment right now, mm-hmm. is there that discussion and talk back still going to be a component of it? Definitely. I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going <laughs> to harass Kate quite as much. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to try mightily to do that. Maybe, I don't know, chat function, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. You could use the, I don't know if you have the, the annotate feature that uh, oh. you can write as, yeah. as other folks are. She'd be able to see it. Uh, yeah, which, that's, that's the problem. But, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Maybe, maybe a private chat. <laughs> as you've, you've been co-hosting those for, for several years now, um, are there particular themes or um, central questions that you feel were particularly memorable or generative? I mean, they've just been, each of them has been surprising in a way, and each time blows us away. We've had, I remember there was one day when, one event where a woman drove from Vashon Island down to read for us in her 50s truck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And her poetry was just unbelievable. I mean, every time we just, Kate and I are just like stunned by how beautiful the writing is. We've had themes of abundance, citizenship, ancestral mothers. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, We've had the theme of work. Um, We had one of the readers was someone who was at Stonewall and Mm -hmm. was part of the organizing committee before Stonewall. And then someone said, well, what should we do after Stonewall? She said, I don't know. Let's have a parade. (laughs) And that's (laughs) the pride was started. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just been, it's been extraordinary every time. Well, I appreciate, um, I appreciate that that you've built that space with, with Kate and it just feels like such a great part of our community. Thank you. It's been really beautiful. Kate, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for being a guest on the occasion, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. Um, I hope you all are safe and healthy and happy and exactly as foolish as you need to be right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. What a a great service that you're doing for all of us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, everyone, and have a good night. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that weep But now they only block the
Yeah.